Welcome to the Sherlyn Shirley Show, and today we're lucky to have Angie Sapic. She is now a candidate running for the 73rd Assembly District in Northern Wisconsin. Welcome, Angie. We're excited to have you, and we got to meet Angie at an event the other day, which was awesome, out on the Chippewa flowage out of the Hayward, Wisconsin area. Angie's going to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about why she's running, and we'll move on from that. That sounds great. Thanks, ladies. It's, I'm excited to, to do this with you guys. I, this is only my second podcast in my life. So here we go, right? So for anybody who doesn't know who I am, I, I'm new to politics here. I've never been in politics my whole life as like a, a real active participant. Uh, my name is Angie Sapic. I'm running for assembly for the 73rd district. I work in Superior, Wisconsin. I live in Lake Nebagaman. I have been married to my husband, Nate, for 10 years. I have a four-year-old little girl named Reba and a five-year-old boy named Calvin. And I decided to throw my hat in the ring and jump into the political game. It's pretty exciting. It's all brand new. And here we go. That's sort of the long and short of it. Well, tell us what, um, what made you decide to jump in? Is there some policies you weren't happy with? What, what was kind of your driving force to say, hey, I think I can do this better and I'm going to run for General Assembly? You know, to be completely honest, I, I was a little disappointed in my party. So I'm a Republican. When COVID happened, I really was sort of disappointed that my party, which I, I feel is really a strong, strong party, didn't stand up for freedoms that, that we all hold, you know, when it comes to vaccine mandates coming down, people losing their jobs because of that, mask mandate, when the whole world basically shut down, they kept going with it when I think that they should have let people make those decisions themselves instead of how heavy the hand is. I, that was That's probably my number one. I just, I was really disappointed with the way that COVID was handled. And I thought that our politicians, especially the right-wing conservatives, maybe should have been a little stronger going through the pandemic. I agree with that. Actually, you're talking to two people who our very first podcast we did was based on COVID and living in fear with COVID. Right. We, we never lived in fear with COVID, did we, Shirley? Not really. But in, you know, and, and I'm not trying to downplay the COVID thing because I, I do think that that it was serious. And it's for some people still, it is very serious. When you have government coming in and demanding that you put a mask on a two-year-old, all of a sudden, that's when I'm like, okay, now I've had enough of this. It's too much. It's too much overreach. People just ran with it. Like everybody wore masks. Everybody just listened and I couldn't believe how fast everyone just adhered to these new policies and the policies didn't really make any sense. They were all bumble bumbling our way through this because it's a brand new thing having a pandemic in in the Welcome to the North Woods. The <laughs> <laughs> that is should very talk, true. Should we talk about broadband? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that, might, that might be, I mean, I missed a little bit of what you were saying, but that might be the next lead in about broadband where we went out to the flowage the other day and we couldn't even get Google's maps to work because there was no cell service. Oh, I know. You just have to print an atlas now if you're going to hang out in Northwestern Wisconsin. Yes. And, yeah, and again, you know, we've talked to uh, another person running for General Assembly who helped bring broadband to Taylor County. Could you see yourself, if elected, working on helping get broadband in northern Wisconsin? Oh, of course. I've been in Nebagaman basically my whole life. In Lake Nebagaman in July, there's so many tourists that you, there's no service, right? Like that's just every year that just happens. But now, like we're into August, cell phone service in Nebagaman is 
terrible. And internet service is not as good as it used to be. And then you go down south, you know, south for me is Danbury. It's north for everybody else. Cell phone service is terrible down there. So I can tell you guys a quick story. I was at the poor house in Siren. A lady came in off a motorcycle and it was 100 degrees outside. She started having a heat stroke sitting at the bar. So her husband was fanning her with a menu. All of a sudden, she, you know, she cinched up and it was like, okay, bam, call 911 right now. We need an ambulance. So I called 911. It took me a minute and a half for the phone call to even go through. Oh like, it just, I, I couldn't believe it. And when you're talking about having cell phone service and internet broadband, it's not just a convenience thing. Like that could have been the difference between life and death for somebody because you can't get through to the dispatchers. So I'm like, somebody call from a landline. My cell phone's not working. Meanwhile, this poor lady is, like I said, she was all cinched up. She was, she was not doing well. We did finally get through and the ambulance came. And I think that she was okay, but it was a good reminder that this is it's very important it's not just a convenience thing it's a safety thing we use our cell phones for everything nobody has a landline anymore right so, it's an extension of your arm you know yeah. like it really is everything i do is on my cell phone so if we're going to use cell phones for emergency calls our everyday calls and then of course use the internet to teach our children when we chose close our schools down it has to be accessible to everybody. Of course. We've had it happen in the Hayward area too. Remember that Shirley in Spider Lake? That's why they ended up putting a, a tower out there because some man had a heart attack and his wife's trying to get him into the hospital and they had to stop and she couldn't get cell service, a 911 call, and he did pass away. That was years, probably six, seven years ago. And they fought that cell tower. We have people that come from other areas that move into the area or buy a second home there. And they don't understand the importance. They want to be the quiet and they want to have every owl and wolf saved. I think Angie and I spoke a little bit about that. Yeah. And they, you know, every bear. Fireworks, silent fireworks, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think that I'm going to let silent fireworks on my freedom train. That's not, uh, that's not part of my platform. <laughs> well. I think that um, you definitely have some really strong opinions and on the wolf part of it, too, because we had a conversation about that. And I know Shirley hasn't heard that conversation. So maybe we should talk about that. What do you feel oh, about yeah. having tags for hunting wolves and making the, sure that the, we keep it under control? The first year that Wisconsin had a wolf hunt, I got a wolf that year. I haven't done it since. And I, boy, I got death threats, had people threatening to come into my home. Some people came out of the woodwork literally and and really came at me for it and that was before i was in the public eye i you know i was just a regular gal i wasn't trying to get any attention for anything and someone gets a hold of the picture and bam there you go you're a wolf murder and whatever you know well but I, I don't know it's uh it's exciting and i think it's cool that there's enough wolves at this point that you can actually have a season on them i i think the population is doing maybe even better than than i would so i do want whoever is running for any assembly or Senate to pay attention to this, that Angie keeps getting knocked off and it's all because of broadband issues. I think I'm back. You yeah, are. you are. <laughs> <laughs> I see the mic Anyways, moving. The, the wolf hunt is, I, I think it's really exciting and it's cool that there's enough wolves that we can actually have a hunt. I'm all for it. I, I think it's cool. Good. Well, and, and I'm not so into hunting wolves, but again, when you have an overpopulation of anything, if, if there's no natural way to thin the herd, then something has to be done. Yeah. And, and hunting wolves is the way to thin the herd. Otherwise, the farmers oh, have no car. And the, so the, the money goes to the state. 
wait for the tags and whatever the lottery system is, you know, it's a great thing. I'd, I'm all for the hunt. I just, I, it's exciting. It, you know, people think about them as, you know, being like dogs, but they're, they're not like your average neighbor's lab, you know, like they are wild, wild animals and dangerous. You know, that's a dangerous, exciting hunt. Didn't you tell me a story about someone's dog being attacked by one recently up in that area? Yeah, killed? I think somebody I think somebody in Lake Nebagman lost a dog, like a Pomeranian or something. Mm. Yeah. But I don't know how long ago it was, maybe six or eight months ago. It, but it wasn't a long time ago. It was pretty recent. And I think it was just a little dog. Well, you know? I, know, I know they've been trying to rebuild the elk herd up there, too. OK, enough about wolves. Let's move on to some other policy stuff that maybe you've thought about, Angie. I know you own a business or you help run a business. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and tell us what you do and how, I mean, regulation maybe has affected your business and how COVID affected your business? I'm a produce broker. I sell onions for a living, which you know, it's a really tight commodity. And so I only sell onions. They'll think it's strange, but it's good business. So I sell onions. I buy them out of Washington for probably nine months out of the year. So the majority of onions that we get in Minnesota and Wisconsin come out of Washington. They are harvesting now. They put them all in storage units until probably June is when we transition out. If we can stay that long, we, we like to. And then we transition to like California, New Mexico in the summertime. So I'm, call, I'm pulling onions out of New Mexico to bring to Minnesota, Wisconsin right now and Canada. And that's, that's sort of what I do. I buy onions and I sell them to distributors. Then they sell them to grocery stores and the Cisco's and that's how they get to your table. I, I'm just... Uh, I'm the onion gal over here. So what kind of uh, effects did the restaurants being shut down um, have on your business? It was it was really big learning time for me because we had it was all pretty even, right? The restaurants were buying at a stable rate and the grocery stores were buying it at a stable rate because it's people go out to eat, you eat at home, whatever. When COVID hit, the restaurants were shut down. A lot of them, the owners didn't have a choice in that, which is another reason why I'm running. I had a hard time with people coming in and telling people that they have to shut down their business and their livelihood. I digress. The restaurants shut down. All of a sudden, the Cisco business, I use Cisco as, as an example. Maybe I shouldn't. They're really well known. All the onions, all the produce, everything that was going into these restaurants just went to a complete halt, right? Everybody, if you're not eating in restaurants, then you've got to get your food somewhere. So the grocery store, the sales going into grocery stores went up like five times. It was completely nuts. So we couldn't even keep enough onions on the shelves in grocery stores, even though the restaurants weren't buying anything because of that sort of panic mentality, you know? So people were coming in and you don't go to the grocery store, you know, once or twice a week, normal, because it wasn't a normal time. People would go to the grocery store and stock up on as much as they could because they would try not to go out in the public because of this COVID deal. It was interesting. It was really strange that the whole world flipped upside down and in my business was flipped upside down as well, just trying to keep up with all the changes. I bet you anything, Shirley was one of them who was hoarding onions. She loves onions. <laughs> hey, the doctor, <laughs> somewhere in, in, in the health world, they say women should eat a medium raw onion a day. I know. It's a very good antioxidant. It is an it antioxidant. Is. Mm -hmm. It did not keep me from getting COVID, but at least I eat onions every day. It They're kept great you for you. 
it, mm-hmm. it kept her from getting COVID for like almost two years, Shirley. Yeah, I'm, I'm still surprised I got it. I did. <laughs> she, I got she, it. I got it too. And I got, you know, I got it like the day before Halloween and my kids were so little and they, it was the first year that they were like, okay, like we're going to go trick or treating, right? We couldn't go trick or treating because we had COVID. So we <laughs> just like drove around and people give us candy from afar. And I just thought, oh, my kids first Halloween, they're dressed up as their little pigs and cows or whatever it was that year. And, you know, we had COVID, so we couldn't even take them trick-or-treating. It was crazy. One of my complaints about when they shut everybody down that was non-essential was that Walmart got to stay open. You could go buy a birthday card. You could go buy a get well card, but yet the local card shop in Hayward could not be open. Right. If you're going to let big box places like Amazon and Walmart stay open because they're essential for food, then that's all them stores should have been allowed to sell was food. And who's to just... Who's to decide what's essential and what's not? Because, you know, if I'm if I own a shop on the corner and I sell antique, this is my livelihood, right? That's essential to me. It's essential to me to make money so that I can buy groceries and gas for my car and survive without being completely reliant on the government to write me a stimulus check whenever they decide that it's necessary. This idea that more people, some people are more essential than others, or your business is more essential is not a fan of that. I, if I had, like I said, if I had an antique shop on a corner and that was my livelihood, they would have to come and chain it up because I would not ever close my doors because the government told me to. I do think that every free job is essential. We found that out during COVID, I believe. Of course. But one of my quick questions to you would be about school. We have talked to other people running candidates and 40% of kids that lived outside of the city of these rural areas did not have internet. So they did not have school. And that was very unfortunate. You know, they think online school, well, it's great when you live in a city, but You're when you right. live 10 miles out or five miles, even in some cases, I mean, look at Hayward where we just were. It's a Hayward address, but it was like 40 miles from Hayward. So those kids did not have internet. And that's kind of one of the things that why broadband. But I also want to ask about what do you think about school choice and how we go about working towards that? Because I do know that is a Republican policy that we really do support the school choice, letting parents pick where they want their kids to go and the tax dollars following that. So it could be. Yeah, I'm 100 percent for that. I you should be able to check you should be able to choose where your kids go and now we've got issues where we've got CRT being taught in schools and you know you've got you've got some teachers that are not really sticking to and I'm not trying to attack teachers here this is I want to be very careful with this because that's not my intent you've got some educators that are teaching things that are outside the curriculum if i have my kid going to school somewhere and i find out that the teachers are are straying from what they should be teaching, whether it's math or science or history, then I should have the right to choose where my child goes, to choose the education that my child receives, because that money is, the education system is all being paid for with my tax dollars. I should be able to decide how my children are learning and where they're learning. I totally agree with that. Again, again, I think parents have to be more responsible for what's happening in our schools, and that's where they need to be involved. Absolutely. Parents should be involved. We did a discussion about um, pronouns stuff and what's going on in schools and how they're pushing that kind of an agenda as well. And I don't favor that. I think that schools should be reading, writing, and arithmetic, science, and social studies, and all these other things that we have. But reading is essential. I have been working with the group here and where I live, and we're working on the test scores right now and the data. Holy cow. 
Some of the schools are only like 17% proficient in reading and in math. And that is appalling. How can you, can we move kids forward? And then, you know, we lost a year or whatever with COVID. So how are we going to move these children forward and help them get there? It's not going to happen with social emotional learning. That's the new buzzword, SEL. Some of this stuff is ridiculous. And we have billions of dollars that is sitting there, ESSER grants, things like this that we really need to pay very close attention to. And I don't know if you have anyone that you're affiliated with on school boards, but you should be asking questions like crazy. And then as a state rep, I would be asking you questions as crazy. Just so right. you're aware. Yeah, no, absolutely. I haven't been a part of the the school situation so much until this year because my kids are, like I said, they're four and five. So they're just going to school this fall. It's a really exciting time for them. They're super nice, cute little kids. They said they're going to hold hands on the bus and <laughs> I just love them. You know that you've got to pay attention, but you have to pay attention without attacking the schools too, right? Like those educators are working really hard. And I think that it's, a, it's sort of like the law enforcement deal too you know people are so they scrutinize so hard in situations where educators are just doing what they can especially through covid they can you know if you're a science teacher you can't help if the school closes down or you know you're trying to help these kids and they don't have internet access and and you miss that that real interaction am i back yes you are okay well and i think some of the problem is there are parents who expect the schools to raise their children, and that's not what the school is for. The school is not to be the parent. The school is to educate the children, and the parents need to be parents. But the teachers are, you know, they play a huge role, you know, and I'll say the same for my daycare. My daycare spends sometimes more time with my kids than I'm able to spend with, especially on the campaign trail, you know. So they're they're with my kids for seven hours out of the day. And those relationships are important. I, I respect what they do so much and they spend so much time helping raise our kids. You know, I think that we should really pay attention to that and, and have more respect for our educators and the hard work that they put in. So Angie, why don't you tell us, is there some kind of hot button issue up in the area you're in? We're kind of touching on a bunch of stuff. <laughs> um, I don't know that there's anything that really stands out so much. When when um, people talk to you, what do they talk to you about? Like, are they talking to you about gas prices, food prices, inflation, what's going on, oh, pocketbook well, issues? Of, of course, inflation. You know, that's everyone's, we're almost, well, it's going down now and everyone's happy that gas is $4.17 a gallon. And I just, it's still $4.17 a gallon, <laughs> right? Like, that's not good. It was $2 a couple of years ago. But <laughs> I've talked about this a few times because I I think that this it's really important to note that when this when inflation hits and we're at what 9.1% inflation right now you've got people that are on fixed incomes and they're what do you do what do you do when you're on a fixed income and inflation hits at 10% and it, the cost of heating your home practically doubles in the winter time when it's already excruciatingly expensive so it, I think that we've got to be able to do something or have some conversations about how to help people who are on fixed incomes in a situation like this, because it's not sustainable for some folks to be able to to pay for their heat. Uh, Shirley can attest to 
the fuel prices and all because she's on propane and you may be as well, Angie. I am on natural gas and I've already noticed a, a difference in it's summer right now. My electric bill actually was like uh, up a third this last month. Uh, it is shocking. I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I have I have means. Many people do not. And I do talk to families around this area, grocery bill wise. And it's shocking. I mean, a family of four like yours, I, I can imagine. And your kid, your kids are still young. You might get away a little bit. But of course, they start eating a lot when they start growing. <laughs> so... Yeah. No, and this isn't my first go around either. I I have a stepson who's 21, so it, this is my second round of parenting. Mm, yeah, <laughs> well, 21 year old definitely when they're going through their teens, and and actually even when they're the age of your kids because they go through growing spurts at certain times, so they just eat a lot more. But oh, sure, and healthy yeah, food. I can tell. Yeah, and healthy food costs more for sure. Yeah, healthy yeah. food costs more than buying macaroni and throwing macaroni together. Right. Although if it was up to my kids, they would have cold noodles every, every day. day, forever. No spaghetti sauce, no warmth. They just want cold noodles. <laughs> so well, at least they're getting their carbohydrates. So they're not expensive to feed right now, but you know, it's, it will change. Well, surely you've had like the prices of uh, propane have gone sky high, huh? No, price of propane doubled this year. Doubled. And we're not even in the winter season yet. Doubled. Right, so, right. So of course I and imagine, imagine if you know you're 80 years old and you you've got a budget, you've got a tight budget, and all of a sudden your propane bill doubles. Yeah. Like how, what do you do? You know, I I just I, I really feel for people in that situation. And if there's anything in the assembly that I can do to help alleviate that, I I will vote yes every time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, propane food. Gas, you know, and people who are on a fixed income, and even people who are still working for a lower wage, that cuts into the things that they need to provide, which is the heat, the electric, the food, healthcare right. benefits. Yeah, you're not doing the fun stuff now. You know, no. you're you're concentrating on what I have to do, how I have to get there, and this is what I'm doing to budget it to get there. So it's a very uh, it's a very tough time and di difficult time for many people. And honestly, up north. There are a lot of senior citizens, a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Many of us go there to retire. Now, that wasn't necessarily my case, but my partner, that's where he wanted to go more than life itself. And when he took early retirement, that's where we went. And I'm still there. Um, a lot of the things we talked about was that, you know, food cost higher in the northern part of the state than it did when you've got more competition. Propane, you know, it's not like natural gas in, in you're held captive to what the prices are. I remember several years ago when the prices were five bucks a gallon. And I realized things come in spurts. And again, the General Assembly may not be able to help get the pipelines open again. But those things all need to be taken into account when you in our General Assembly make decisions that's going to affect those of us that don't have a lot. Right. Well, and look at Bob. He came in, somebody handed him 30 executive orders, and one of them, I believe, was to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. He shut, that was one of the first things that he did. And I just, I'm all for environment. I'm all for everything being done safely and having the least amount of impact on the environment. You can't, obviously you can, because he did. I, I don't think that that was the right decision. I think that you have to open the Keystone Pipeline and be more supportive of oil in this region because you've got job creation, you've got 
of the cost of oil overall. So we're going through a really hard time right now. Yes, we are. To take a country that was energy independent and turn it into being dependent on others is not a very wise thing to do. And that is why no. gas prices are where they are. We have to keep everything within our borders and be as self-sufficient as possible. And and under this administration, it's the exact opposite. Yes. Statewide, the, the issue, we have to get a, a Republican across the board for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, state assembly, and all the way down to our state senate, all of it. We have to get it done so we can have the... Uh, the voice that we really do need assembly because right now assembly and senate both is republican in our state but our governor vetoes everything they put through right so you can't get anything done because you've got the you know you've got king evers at the top just throwing everything in the garbage and that's what we have to fight so tuesday is the primary election and I believe wholeheartedly that that's probably the most important election that we have is the primary because that's who you pick to move forward to the general so you need I, to pick the right people? I couldn't possibly agree more. I I think that people forget that, you know, like it's, oh, the primary, whatever, you know, but they're going to come in hot in the general and vote for the governor. And, and that's the big race, right? But like you said, if you don't get the right person in the primary, then you end up with garbage in the end. So it, the primary, I think, is even more important than the general because you have to get the right people on the ballot in November. And the only way to do that is to vote on Tuesday and know your candidates, you know, I'd take a second and, and really vote for for who you think is going to be the best person for the job and the best person who you think is really going to be able to win in November, I think is very important as well. And you do have a primary, correct, Angie? And I do. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why people should choose you over your opponent? We need some new blood, right? So I'm, I'm not trying to, I don't want to beat up my opponent, but I, I think that we need someone in who's got fresh ideas and who is a little younger. And and I've got great connections with in just doing this campaigning. I've, I've made some really great political connections. We're building a really strong Republican team, like Team Red Republican and, you know, a, a powerful team. And that's what you need. You need a powerful red team in the legislature, in the legislative branch. You need, you need red across the board if you want to get anything done. I think that we're really building a great, strong, supportful network. We're all supporting each other. We're helping each other out at rallies and fundraisers. And I, that's what you need. You need real team camaraderie. And that's what we're building. And in doing that, you know, I see I can see like what my opponent is doing. It's it doesn't have anything to do with who's currently in office and and I am, you know, I'm talking with people who are in office and people who are running and and building those connections because I already feel sort of like I won because I'm already feeling like I'm a part of that team. The only way to do that is to win on Tuesday. So, you know, it's a, there's a lot of pressure on <laughs> on running for assembly, you know, or running for any sort of office. You know, it's it's up to the people to decide who they think is the best. I just I just hope that people go to the polls and they see Angie Sapic and they say, hey, you know what? That gal's got it figured out. I think that she can really beat her opponent in the general in November and and that's all you can do is just work really hard and hope for the best and try to get your name out there and let people know what you're about. Angie, where can we get a hold of you? Um, I, you can get a hold of me by emailing me, angiesapicassembly at gmail.com, 
or you can look at my Facebook page or my Instagram. I'm uh, just look me up. I'm all over social media. Very good. Well, again, thank you, Angie. And uh, thank you all for listening to us. This is the Cheryl and Shirley show signing out. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, ladies.